up everybody welcome back to another episode of digital artcast i am so so psyched about today's episode um we have an amazing guest on and uh and yeah just uh the general stuff has been going on with the podcast i'm really glad that we're nearly 2000 subs um of course patreon's been launched and a couple of other things always check in the description if you want to find out more about the podcast um and yeah without further ado uh let me introduce today's guest someone i've been wanting to talk for a while um that's alison perry so say hi alison so, uh, so Alison, yeah, thank you for coming on and, and speaking to me. Um, I know we tried to arrange it for a bit and, and just trying to find a gap where um, we were both kind of free, but um, you managed to, to find an hour in your day to come talk to us. So um, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, cool. So a uh, small accolade that I've, I've kind of also kind of threw your way that you know about that um, you're the second ever uh, female artist we've had on the podcast. Um, of course, not by choice, but yes. Yeah, it's great to have a, another perspective in, in the podcast to talk about art. Um, and then, uh, yeah, definitely it's been great just even just seeing your your history of work, um, having such a, a kind of talented and, and well-rounded artist um, just to talk about the industry in general because I feel like, yeah, there's a lot um, there's a lot we can delve into yeah, given your, your, the span of your career. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this will start a wave of more uh, females to join the podcast soon. Yes, yes, definitely. Feel free for anybody who wants to come on, let me know because, uh, yeah, definitely I want to have a, a, a lot more diversity on this podcast, yeah. 100%. Um, so, yeah, so you've had an amazing career. Um, anyone who would even just sit on your Facebook for two minutes would see just the the accolades that you've had um, and the you know, careers that you've, or jobs that you've been in um, in the last couple of years. So where did that start um of, of course if, if no one really um knows who you are uh, by name and, and shame on you you should um could you give us a kind of brief rendition of uh what you're doing at the moment and uh, your kind of t- your job title sure yeah um so i'm allison perry like you said earlier uh and um i actually didn't start studying art i feel like this is you know, some people's stories as well. And uh, I started studying English, actually. I wanted to be an English teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Kind of weird, right? Uh, No, no. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was an engineer before I came into art. So, you know, I've had a career up until I was 28 and then left and went back to university. So, yeah, I had other aspirations for my life, but that changed. So, yeah. Yeah, I I, I really like to emphasize that because uh, I I want people to know that, like, if they want to make a career change later in their life, you know, it is possible. And I think a lot of people think that if they don't make that change, like at like 22 or something absurdly young like that, that they're not allowed to change. And it's like, no, you can. You can do it. Um, Well, I was was 28. So, yeah. Yeah, I was. uh, How old was I when I? Well, I had just graduated from like, I guess, regular academic college uh, at, I think, 22. Yeah, 22. And I realized that, you know, uh, English, you know, being a teacher doesn't pay super duper well. And I was in a lot of student loan debt. So I just figured, you know, hey, if I'm going to be in a bunch of debt, I might as well do what I actually want to do instead of like compromising. So I, uh, I ended up going to Art Center for four years, but not actually graduating, which a lot of people were probably like, why didn't you graduate? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I had one more term, but I had, had a job offer at a VR game startup. And I was just like, well, I already have a degree, even though it's not in the uh, field that I want to work in. So, you know, I got that checkbox checked. I mm-hmm. might as well start getting paid instead of paying to learn. So. Yeah. I ended up dropping out and I don't regret it. Uh, I worked there for a year. I did um, some freelance while I was there. I worked at Snapchat or Snap. It's actually just called Snap Inc. uh, for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at Skydance Animation. Uh, And between that, I just did a bunch of freelance, which is where a lot of my experience comes from. I think that's true for a lot of people, honestly. So I've, I've freelanced a lot of like TV animation um games uh commercial uh yeah because you've done work with like you know nickelodeon disney bright games they're all kind of people that you have done stuff for in the past right yeah and i mean that's kind of the benefit of freelance is you get a ton of experience with a ton of people with a ton of teams all in a really short amount of time a lot of the time 
Cause mm-hmm. a lot of the time they're just bringing someone on to like fill a gap or fill a quick need. So like, yeah. you know, you're not getting that cool in-house experience, which I totally understand. You know, some people want that. And I mean, I want that for my like full-time work, but yeah. on the side, you're getting all this like really, you know, colorful experience that, you know, you can't get at a full-time job. Uh, so definitely recommend freelance. So, yeah. Yeah. I think especially when you're starting, it will be a good entry point because like you said, you get so much experience so quickly. But then if you're relying on your kind of nine to five just job at you know, like at one one defined studio doing one defined thing, then you will grow, but not as exponentially as if you were doing freelance work, which is, you know, different projects, different speeds, different teams. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely a good way to start an industry is to get your feet wet in different areas um really quickly. I'm sure you would agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, um, a lot of people ask like, oh, do you have to have an internship to get a job? And like, I actually never had an internship. And I always recommend to people that either don't have the resources to do an internship, can't get an internship, or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, should, you know, attempt to get some freelance, because I, I kind of consider that to be my like, uh, equivalent experience. Because, you know, it's it's a short it's a short sort of experience with a company where you get to mm. know their team, know their pipeline. Um, and the benefit is, is that freelance oftentimes pays better than internships. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not getting added benefits of the employee stuff. So they're, they're kind of paying you, you know, pro rata stuff, but yeah, yeah no, totally a hundred percent. I think that is a good, I think it's, it's more commonplace with games. Well, where I'm looking at games anyway, or, or even just other CG studios I've seen where, um, because the bar is so high, right? Because so many people want to do this job and, and they always just look for the best. Um, the freelance stuff is a good way to say, especially coming in an interview that, yeah, you know, like I've, I've worked with a team, I've worked on a pipeline, I have done a project to completion. So, you know, you can rely on me um, because yeah, coming in without any of that experience in any of their studios, then people would kind of be like, oh, well, how well would they adapt to our team? How well would they the mix um which also comes i think part and partial with networking as well right because that also shows that you're keen if you're you know catching up with people at gdc or you're you're heading up or hitting up recruiters at different events and and they kind of get to know your face and know that you've done stuff so um because you wanted to touch on that right like i take it was networking something that you were focusing on as you were at art center you know actually funny thing is i didn't network at all really at art center except towards the end, which is something I super regret. Um, yeah. And, uh, it's funny that you bring up, uh, like cons and like, um, conferences and stuff like GDC and stuff. Cause I've yeah. actually never been to one. I went to wow. except E3 <laughs> once, but okay. it was after I got a job and I literally stayed there for like 30 minutes and it was so yeah. crowded and I was just like, I'm out. I can't. Uh, can't do it. <laughs> yeah people keep telling me the crazy at are just yeah panic and anxiety and just because yeah there's so many people there now because it's open to the public now for yeah. the last couple of years so it's just there's so many people there and one of my friends is actually a, a, a news editor for a, a games kind of blog thing but he's trying to do his job interview people and, and test games out but he's having to wait at the queue of you know a million joe averages who are just there to just take pictures and selfies and stuff and, and check out new games but Oh god, yeah, E three. So, but I think again, you're talking about the networking stuff, and you didn't do a lot of it. But I think it's also um, like a double edged sword as well because you're in LA, like you're in the heart of a lot of that industry. So, you know, although you didn't maybe network, you you were in the kind of the beaten heart of the industry. Did you feel like that helped you, like being situated in Los Angeles? Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say since you know I I don't have a comparison point on it like I think honestly before you know I started like when I was still in college I didn't really realize what a privilege it was to live in LA uh because I just everyone I knew lived here and I lived here so I just assumed that this was everyone's experience and at Art Center I met a lot of people that uh you know came from overseas or came from out of state and just mm-hmm. talking to them really opened up my eyes to what a privilege it is to live here. I mean, there are definitely downsides, like the cost of living being astronomical. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I can't deny that it it puts you close to the people you need to be near. But at the same time, I think it's really easy to just assume that that's all you need to do. Because, like, that's sort of what I was doing in college was um, there was sort of this culture at my college that you should let your work speak for itself and that you should be on campus all the time 
not networking because, you know, oh, your work's going to be so great that you're not going to need a network. Um, and so, you know, I, I was in the, in the, in the LA scene, but I wasn't really going out much. Uh, I can't really say if just ambiently being in LA helped it, it probably did, but, uh, you know, I, um, I think that, you know, you're, you're better off spending some time in college networking, you know, maybe going to like, not conferences necessarily, but like networking events, they do exist. Uh, and also just, um, you know, putting yourself out there online. I, I see a lot of students putting their work online in like really inefficient ways, which, you know, I don't want to like police how anyone manages their social media. Cause ultimately it's up to you. It's your social media. Yeah. But if you're trying to get eyes on your work, because, you know, maybe you don't have time to network, maybe you're not living in LA, whatever. Um, you, you shouldn't drop all your work at like 1am on a Sunday and then disappear off the internet for three months, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it's also a thing where, um, there's so much reach now, especially with social media where, I mean, things like, uh, 10,000 hours and level up also are, you know, sitting there, Facebook groups, stuff you can dive into and, and throw work in progress or critique stuff. Um, and then become part of that community. You don't even really have to leave your house, if you, you know, if you really didn't want to go out and, and, or you didn't have the money or the funds to travel or do other things, um, there is a possibility you can use online forms of facilities, um, to gain feedback, to network, to meet people. Um, I mean, some of my first industry people I knew, um, I just added people on Facebook, um, not maliciously. I think the first couple of people that I didn't know too well, I would send them a quick message and say, Hey, you know, I think one of them was Matt Gazer and I said, you know, Hey, um, Matt, I'm a big fan of your work. I really love your stuff. Um, I think we spoke an email previously. Um, I'd really love to talk to you a bit more. Would it be okay if I added you? Um, and then from there, as you start building mutual people that, you know, people have in common on Facebook, you can start reaching out to other people and then making more friends. And then, of course, I found that, you know, people, especially artists on Facebook, are super um, willing, if you're polite enough, of course, um, to give feedback and advice um, as long as you've got you know sensible questions to ask them and you're quite patient with their time um, yeah that's another avenue so yeah you, you wouldn't have to necessarily um, only be going out to events on foot you know you can do things online that would enhance your networking without having to focus on going to big events so yeah yeah absolutely I, I actually think that some of the big events I mean I don't I don't really know what the, the marketing of GDC is like. Uh, it might be a little different, but at least in animation, there's uh, a lot of, I, I don't want to name names or disparage anybody, but there are a lot of conventions that purport themselves to be these like, oh, if you go here, you'll get a job. And I think yeah. that that sort of marketing is really uh, predatory. And I think a lot of people think that they have to spend you know, hundreds, thousands of dollars to travel to some LA con with a bunch of prints and then, you know, it's, it essentially is just throwing it all into a hole and, you know, they don't get a job and I feel really, really bad for them. I think you can get that same experience through either free uh, events, which are, you know, a little harder to find, but they're there. Um, Or just, you know, uh, being really active on social media. I think it's really important that you touched on in what you were just saying Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, making friends. I think a lot of people uh, expect networks to be like immediately reciprocal and like, oh, I'm unemployed. So I'm going to add a whole bunch of people and ask them for jobs. And like, I don't think that's a good strategy. I think like a lot of the, the, the best, I guess, connections that I have are people that are just friends or like people I added and have, you know, been friends with by interacting with their content in a genuine way. And, you know, I'm unemployed and they're like, oh, hey, I know something or they're unemployed. And I'm like, oh, here, I, I heard about this job lead. And, you know, it's kind of this back and forth yeah. thing. But you, you got to give it time. You can't just, oh, I'm unemployed. Hey, everybody, get me a job, please. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just as also if you're putting your work out there and people then see it and know the caliber of stuff that you can produce. Um, like, I mean, I know back in I think it was only in February, March, I was kind of pushing hard on some 3D stuff I was doing. Um, and one of the guys I knew that I'd added through an event um, from from Powerhouse Animation was like, yo, we're starting another series down here. We're looking for people to do fantasy style um, interior stuff or, or you know, uh, environment stuff. Um, you should really apply. I think your stuff would... And that opportunity just came through knowing that person online. 
um, through a mutual friend and then he kind of reached out and said that you know um, I should apply for a gig and like you said this stuff just comes a lot of times through word of mouth um, most of the higher ups I know who will hire in senior positions um, will always speak to other seniors at the time and say yo do you know someone for this gig do you think you would know someone that could come in and do really well and if you already have a rapport with somebody and, and have a good reputation then yeah a lot of the senior roles do go to people through word of mouth so it definitely is worth building that network up because it will pay off dividends when it comes to finding work yeah i i think that um and i think having been sort of on both sides of that i mean i've never been like a lead that's like literally looking for people but i've been in a position where someone has asked me like oh hey do you know someone that would be a good for this role or like a lot of companies literally have a uh, an infrastructure for recommending or referring uh candidates and i know to a lot of um, young professionals, myself included, when I was, you know, starting out, that can sound really frustrating. Like, oh wow, that's just nepotism. It's not fair. Like, I have to, I have to know someone to get in. You know, and uh, and I, I, I get that frustration. But at the same time, if you think of it from a, a studio's perspective, you know, especially with the internet, the the candidate pools are just like a crazy gigantic. And yeah. uh, one of the the most important things next to, or if not, you know, on the same par as your, your portfolio is, are you okay to work with? Like, are you a nice team member, which is really, really hard to quantify and evaluate outside of an interview, which takes a lot of time, takes longer than, you know, just looking at someone's portfolio for 30 seconds. So if they get an employee referral, the the assumption is that that's already out of the way. And, you know, no one's going to refer someone they don't like hanging out with. Yeah. So it it just makes sense to take employee referrals. And it, I feel like if you understand it from that perspective, it can sort of temper the resentment that you might feel. Because I, I definitely understand being on the outside, feeling like you're like locked out and you can't get in. It, it sucks. Yeah. I know. I think especially once you leave post-graduation where I'm finding now having you know I graduated last year I'm still in that zone of like I'm working but I'm not like where I want to be especially not like a full-time gig where it's like a Monday to Friday you know I'm going into an office I'm doing work on a team with a you know specific pipeline with art directors it's just uh work where I can get it right now and and you know every so often I'll, I'll get a gig that'll be a paycheck that'll keep me going to the next one um but yeah post-graduation is always difficult it's a uh, it's an interesting kind of minefield where, especially for me, um, when I left university, I had a, a kind of skill gap that because I went to a, a very generalized university program, it wasn't even really specifically tailored to one thing. So when I left, there was a huge gap in my skills, which I've spent the last year basically trying to fill. Um, but for a lot of people, yeah, I understand unless you're going to, you know, like the bigger schools, like art center or a lot of places in California, um, it can be a struggle once you leave university and you're kind of like what next like where do I go what do I do who do I talk to what should I do should I be looking at um yeah it's it's very scary but then again you probably again had a different experience because you had a job like before you even finished so um it's difficult I think in the way to to compare because most people I typically would speak to would say yeah I left school and then I had to do like a couple of freelance gigs and then I had to travel and do something else and so you were kind of um i'm not going to say lucky because that sounds like you didn't really do anything of course you were working very hard and you had really good work but um you had a good opportunity probably more say at the end of your course that you know not a lot of people would typically have um especially for my school you know last year it was only like i had a gig doing a 2d game at the time um doing you know 2d concept stuff and one guy went straight to axis in glasgow and he was doing cg stuff but everybody else um, as far as I know, isn't working in the industry. So, um, yeah, I think it's networking plays a, a plays a huge part for it, and and so does your work. But it's it's a really weird place to be, right? Like to put yourself out there and try to find work straight away. Yeah, I mean, I I think you you know you said you don't want to call it luck, but honestly, like luck is. I mean, I usually say it's timing because it sounds a little less like you know oh like you were just lucky, but you know it is a factor, and I I actually tell people that like. The three factors that must align to get a job are your skills, so like your portfolio or whatever, um, your network, so someone knowing that you exist, because no mm-hmm. amount of skill really matters if nobody knows it exists, yeah. and just timing. Like you can be 
I remember one of the most frustrating things when I was looking for work is hearing from people like, oh yeah, your portfolio is really great. You'd totally be a great like candidate for our team. And you'd be like, well, can you get me a job then? And they're like, no, <laughs> we don't have any like openings right now. And like, <sighs> that's oh so annoying and yeah, yeah. infuriating and frustrating. But um, mm-hmm. as far as like getting a job right out of college, I think having done the college experience prior, like having, you know, just known what college is like, I really looked at college like a subscription service, which I'd recommend people do, especially with art college, where like, you're there to collect skills until you don't want to collect them anymore. So it's kind of almost like a, I think that's how schoolism works too. I'm not really sure because I've never used any of those services, but I imagine they're, they're more subscription based. And um, I just, I realized like halfway through, like, I could probably get paid to get these skills rather than pay for them. Um, yeah. So I started really aggressively applying to jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had done some freelance while I was in school, which I think mm-hmm. helped me get that job at the end. And I think a lot of students feel like they're not allowed to look for work until they graduate or until they're in their graduating term, which mm-hmm. is why I think a lot of people struggle to get work Um when you know they graduate is is they didn't start really the process until like you know uh, three months ago or whatever and like no matter how good your skills are you know a lot a lot of uh companies are just like super slow and like it might take three months to process your uh application or something yeah. you know so um I, I would just advise people to 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 start sooner than later don't wait for permission and don't wait for like to be quote good enough because yeah. trust me you're never gonna feel good enough, <laughs> good enough. Like, <laughs> you always want to be better than you are <laughs> oh god yeah no i mean like one of the things that people kind of took from me from my class was i mean i, I ended up getting a, an internship at access studios in glasgow mm-hmm. um and when i was there i was lucky at the time they were working on stuff like destiny 2 and Dawn of war and league of legends and you know getting to see that behind the scenes was great but that all came from a conversation from industry workshops 2016 where as i was wandering the kind of show floor i bumped into their table the recruitment table um and they're a scottish-based studio so as soon as i spoke to them they were like oh you're you're from scotland i says yeah i'm down here i'm doing a course in in paisley which is a a city in scotland and i said i'm you know i'm studying 3d animation i'm doing 3d stuff just now and they're like oh great you know give us your details we might be in touch at one point you know and then from there um i managed to get the position out of you know a couple hundred people that had applied but you know, that came from just a conversation at an event. Um, and then since then, I've went to multiple events around the world. I've tried, I mean, not none in America at the moment, but I've pretty much covered Europe and London um, and tried to just put my name out there. And uh, I'm lucky, I suppose, in the sense with the podcast and other things and, and the events I've went to, I'm, I'm kind of well known in the industry, um, although not for my work, which is obviously the the gap I'm trying to fill just now. But, you know, people have a general sense of who I am. So when I go to events now, you know, especially, especially around Europe, people like oh yeah no Gordon so um luckily hopefully when the skill set then rises to meet the networking kind of prowess I have um I'll be able to find some work so but yeah um people were definitely like taking a an interest in my networking stuff early on because they knew it was affording me opportunities that they weren't seeing at the time um so 100% yeah I think students need to be networking as soon as as soon as you touch ground on your course, I think it's very important. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, it's, especially at art, like Art Center, I don't know if it's still the same way. I don't want to talk about, you know, what it is now because I don't go there anymore. But yeah. uh, there was very much a, like I said, a let your work speak for itself sort of mentality. And like, you know, if you maybe didn't deliver your obscene amount of homework in mm. full because you're at a networking event you'd get sort of reprimanded and like you oh, know, okay. oh you th- you think going to a bar with a bunch of professionals is is as important as my class and you know yeah. i think that that discouraged a lot of uh people from networking which is a shame because i think a lot of people uh sort of suffered for it which you know is unfortunate and yeah. honestly the people who did skip classes and and like homework for uh mm-hmm. networking events oftentimes turned out like you know have really good luck yeah i mean luck for me i was just you were going i was going to touch that other when you talked about it but luck for me i think someone explained it perfectly is when preparedness meets opportunity and i think yes yeah yes i think that's definitely the the vibe i was getting from it but no i mean 
Um, I think Art Centre have a, a thing where they see networking probably less as a priority because when they feel people are ready, they will bring the talent to the students. Like they will, because they have a pool or they have people teaching who are former students of animation studios or whatever, um, if they see someone with enough talent or they see someone in a position where they can work, they will then be, you know, in contact with the studio and say, look, I've got this kid in my class, he's really talented, um, may want to give him an opportunity for a test or something. Um, whereas most schools, the networking is something that, you know, you relied to get that part of it sorted because they are too focused on the teaching. But then um, with Art Centre Noman, I think, you know, they have a lot of contacts where they can bring people in and expose the students to them especially at your like your end of year shows like they can be like you know put your stuff up and then they have guys come in from you know skydance and, and disney and, and everything else and have them look at the work and then if they see somebody that catches their eye you know they pass in the business cards so it's i know it's a double-edged sword again it's you know like you're saying it's it's kind of crappy that people are kind of being reprimanded for wanting to go out and network but at the same time i think they they take that view because they know they can bring people to them, um, which I think is it should be both, right? You should be able to go out and meet people as well as bringing people in to the studio. So, um, yeah. I think that that's the the optimistic take on it. Um, yeah. I like I I that's what I came in believing, and again, I can't speak to everyone's art center experience, and I can't speak to what art center is right now or yeah. at a you know past time, but. From my experience, that was sort of the the promise, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really delivered on, at least not for me, um, which mm. is why I ended up, you know, it, it honestly felt a lot like how I was describing those conferences and those conventions where they say that, yeah, you know, we're going to provide the network for you, but I didn't really get that personally. And I yeah. felt the same sort of dissatisfaction that you're describing, uh, where, you know, I was like, I wasn't quite getting what I needed to professionally. I, I do think yeah. that Art Center has an extremely competitive um, like sort of fundamentals training program and I, I don't want to dump on that at all. But yeah. uh, I think that they put a lot of money, much like these cons, into telling you how great a network they'll provide you and yeah. I think that it isn't as often delivered upon as it could be. Yeah, I think one person's experience is always different from another's right because you know some people who went to my course really loved it and you know i didn't not love it but then i did feel there was areas it was lacking but then again yeah people can go to art center and have a great time but then also people can go and be like well it wasn't 100 percent for me and that's totally fine because everybody's an individual everybody has an individual individualistic taste to what they they want out of education and and uh yeah, I think it's just a case of if it's not working for you, there, there should be an option to say that, you know, if you want to go this way and do something different, then 100%. Um, but then kind of touching on or moving away from Art Centre, you have yeah, this yeah, gig yeah. and then, you know, what you're doing, I suppose, um, it's more, I think, viz dev. So you're doing more visual development stuff, right, as opposed to concept. Although I, I know there is a lot of overlap within that whole construct of what concept art is. But um, with visual development, I think it's... It, it's more a title within animation is that right i don't know 100 percent a lot about the viz dev process the last time i kind of looked at the job i was uh, at a talk at thu last year with uh, cory loftus um and he was kind of talking about his process doing stuff for disney same with ryan lang so is that the kind of is a similar trade you you're doing now with uh with your studio yeah, I mean, I, I, from my experience again, I, uh, I, I kind of feel like concept art and viz dev are sort of the same skill set, but for a different product. Where like, you know, in concept art, it's, assuming it's for games, because I, I mean, I've actually done concept art for animation, which is really confusing. And I'm like, wait, so then what is the difference exactly? Yeah. Um, but uh, concept art for games, at least, typically, you know, you're you're designing for the product being created. So maybe you're thinking about like, how does this gameplay element um, manifest visually? Like, you know, what is this character's uh, kick animation or whatever look like while in, in viz dev for animation, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're designing for the screen. You're not designing for, for gameplay or for mechanics in a game or whatever. But I'd say, you know, it's essentially the same skill set. It's just applied in a different way. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's 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 interesting when I looked at uh, 
um, Corey's talk last year when he was talking about the stuff he done on uh, Zootopia and the detail, I think even just the storytelling he went into within a lot of his pieces was like above and beyond. And I think when you're at that level, I think that's the kind of attention and detail you do need. But I think with VizDev, for me, there's more sometimes storytelling elements in it than there is concept art. I think for concept that can be a rough idea but then i think with VizDev, you're almost fleshing out an entire world straight to you know a lot of fine detail i mean it, again there's there's a lot of overlap but yeah i think with VizDev, it always seemed like the more um i don't want to say difficult more intense uh side of of developing an idea because uh i remember one uh image that that coy broke down where it was a sheep a sheep bar it was a bar full of sheep but then there was stuff like the edges of the pool table were frayed because like sheep nibble and everything or like they were all kind of standing on the bar instead of sitting on the seats because sheep like to like jump on top of things so there was like all this extra level of like nuance within his piece that told a story or almost brought that whole th- scene to life um something i've not seen as much in concept work um i don't know if that's like a fair comparison but yeah, I think it's. I think the idea is when you're doing when you're doing concept art for a game, uh, the, the the player is kind of making the story, so you don't want to you don't want to impose too much story on that. And I know this is speaking really generally, but um, yeah, yeah. while with a, you know a film, you know you're you you're telling a story. You're not. It's not a self insert. You know, like a game is. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, you have more opportunity to design to the story or design to the the what the director whoever wants to show you know what I mean right yeah I'm with you so I take it from your because you're at Skydance now right so that's your your kind of latest uh, gig and that's only actually come recently right and then the last couple of months yeah yeah I uh, I you know I got laid off from uh, Snap and then I did a little bit of freelance and now I'm back on the nine to five so <laughs> uh-huh, okay what would be interesting though because then you've had both sides of the coin is is are you so because I think that the 50 50 split in this industry is like literally people who freelance people who are in studios do you feel like you sit in one or the other or do you feel you can happily do both or you prefer one or the, over the other or um, uh, it's hard to say because I'm personally super paranoid about pigeonholing myself. Like I'm so terrified of saying like, oh, I just do concept because I'm so worried that I'm going to miss out on a really cool opportunity that doesn't literally have that job description. Right. So I oftentimes, I'll oftentimes just kind of say like, I do whatever it is that you're needing, like whatever that job title <laughs> is. As long as I, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I can do everything, but like if I know no, I course. can do that job, I'll be like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm a bat. Um, yeah. but I'd say that, oh, that's hard to say because I, I really genuinely like a lot of things. I, I think that I'm not as big a fan of working in games because it's very intense. It's very tiring. Uh, I mean, animation tends to be a little more worker friendly simply because it has this history with its union oh, okay, and yeah. that like, and I mean, like it's it seems like games is kind of trying to move towards that with like game workers that unite and stuff. We can only but, hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, but just sort of the expectation that your life is like the company at games. I think for some people they really like that, but for me, I, I feel kind of uncomfortable about that. And I appreciate that, like at my current job, as well as my job before, to some degree that. that there's there's a respect that like you're gonna go home at five or six or when you know whenever your day ends you can uh, have a life inside your job basically yeah 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 and and you know I, I for that reason i don't really like the games as much right now uh, yeah i feel that as well as as probably part la as well because i know a lot of the studios out there can be quite intense um yeah. although yeah although i spoke to one of my friends who works at um, insomniac and they were saying that they've actually got quite a decent work-life balance, especially yes. when they were working on Spider-Man. Yeah. They were supposed to be quite, it wasn't as intense. But yeah, I know that um, some of the guys at Santa Monica done a lot of late nights and, and you know, the guys at Riot, the guys at Blizzard or have their kind of ticks for working later. So yeah, I think it's it's a very studio-centric thing. I think I've, with the thing I, I had done a talk a couple of uh, months ago at the university and I said to a lot of the guys that, finding your studio is is a a big part of what will make you happy as an artist because 
Um, not every studio is the same. So there will be some that will be super intense and work really long hours, but then there'll also be some who respect that you need to leave at a certain time if you've got kids or you've got family or you just have a life. Um, so I think it's it will take you a while initially to jump from studio to studio to find one that you will enjoy. But hopefully if the studio's doing well enough, once you find that, then you can kind of, you know, set up shop and, and, and settle there. Because, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard trying to find the passion to tell students and kids to go into this industry and be hopeful when you know there's barriers there, right? There's things set up that will make it difficult to find work, difficult to do work while you're at the studio, difficult to have a life at, at the start because you're doing so much overtime or proving yourself so um yeah was your first few gigs like that like before you found kind of where you are just now did you find you were um kind of burning out a lot at the start trying to do a lot of work well i had had a lot of guidance from friends and like uh, like professionals i guess saying that like you need to set boundaries on the work you're going to do because your employer is obviously going to want you to stay at work all day because they're going to get more work out of you for less money and if they could have their way, that's what they would do. Um, so, you know, that I was very much, and this also came from being older too. Like I wasn't yeah. trying to impress anyone. I was just like, hey, you're paying me for eight hours. I'm going to work really hard for these eight hours and then I'm going to go home. And if you expect me to do a bunch of unpaid work, then mm. frankly, like, why would I, I'm not going to. And if you're going to lay me off for that, then I don't think this is a good fit. Like, I don't think that I want to be here if you don't want to pay me for my labor. Like, I, I don't think that expecting to get paid should be like a bad thing. And <laughs> I don't want to encourage people to perpetuate that just because they have the time or the energy. Like, I, I wasn't super overworked at my first job. I mean, it certainly mm. had its own issues, which I don't want to go too much into because, like, yeah. you know, I'm not here to disparage anyone, but, um, uh, you know, they were pretty respectful. I know that some people did work overtime and I think that since concept and viz dev or whatever you want to call it, you know, these sort of pre viz skill sets tend to lie at the beginning of the pipeline. You tend to get crunched a little bit less than like Mm. say modeling or animation, yeah. Uh, which is nice, but you know, if, if an employer could, they'd love you to work all day. You have yeah. to draw that line and say, no, I'm going home at six, but I'll see you tomorrow. Because especially because if you do, uh, work, you know, all this unpaid overtime, you're setting a precedent that that's what you're going to do forever. And when you stop, yeah. the employer is going to feel sort of, you know, ripped off. In fact, I, I heard this great story. I'm going to try to like summarize it. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think it's a really great story where there was this guy supposedly working on Avatar, the, uh, the, the TV show at Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was hired as like one job. I think it was like background designer or something. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, had all this free time, wanted to prove himself. So he, he started doing other people's jobs. And the company thought, oh, wow, we can just, you know, lay people off and have this guy do everything. <gasps> so, I mean, I don't think he was, a, you know, people probably didn't like him for that. But oh, so, that, you know, again, this yeah. is like an urban myth. So I don't want to like say anything specifically <laughs> about Nickelodeon, but. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, you know, they laid these guys off and then he was doing all this work and then he got a girlfriend and oh, now oh, he's not doing that work anymore. So oh, like God, I, yeah. the lesson there was, you know, don't do things that you're not going to continue doing through your career because you're setting an expectation that that's what you're going to be doing. Yeah. I think that's a dangerous thing to be doing is to be overzealous at the start. I mean, you Mm -hmm. want to prove yourself, of course, but at the same time, you don't want to be setting up, um, um, an un, un, what's the word I'm looking for? An unattainable goal that will never be reached. Basically, is that you can always do this work 24 seven and never have a rest and never have a day off and you'll always be perfect and your stuff will always be amazing because um, you're just setting yourself up for a fail there right because perfectionism lives on us all but if you then personify that straight away you, you know right at the start then yeah that's almost like you're you're digging your own grave because you can't maintain that forever so eventually that will be to the detriment of you right that'll, well, that'll eventually everyone come back else to you. too yeah of course yeah yeah um i mean you want to have a almost balance where you're doing enough work that inspires other people but not that it makes them hate you right yeah (laughs) so yeah and then and like you know you're talking about 
um you know the, the the years you've done viz dev and the years you've done concept and work for different games companies and stuff like that and um and it's always a, an interesting point to talk about you know the respect you had in the job and and i think it was something that you know I, that i'd want to ask you but again it's, it's up to you how, how much you'd want to go into this but um with you being female in the industry have you felt that there's been any potential barriers that you came up against particularly because you're a woman or that have kind of reared directly head in studios that you've overcome um or have you had a good experience it's not really been an issue or um i mean i don't want to i mean i'm sure there are people that will say there are barriers and i'm sure there are barriers uh that i haven't personally experienced or i was just not aware of i mean i think that if you just type into google like games and like sexism there will probably be a bazillion articles that will explain it better than i can most of them are about right at the moment so yeah yeah and i um i i'd say i've experienced uh challenges and like you know it i if someone asked me if it was harder because of being a woman i'd say yeah it you know I'm not sure if you've heard this before, but there's this idea that women have to work twice as hard to be taken like just as seriously as men or yeah. half as seriously or whatever, you know, yeah. it's phrased differently. But um, I- I've certainly had sort of offhanded experiences mm. where like, I'm like, that was, ki- that seemed kind of sexist. And like, it never like affected my ability to get work or my ability to get my job done. But it was stuff that sort of, made me feel uncomfortable and Mm. um i'm honestly like sort of like uh what's the oh my phone's ringing oops um (laughs) sorry about that Um, it's all good uh you know i'm not as aware of things as i should be a lot of the time i just get like super fixated on my work and i don't really think about things until after they occur where i'm like hey that seemed kind of messed up um but you know it i it's i hate saying this but Mm-hmm. I think Art Center really, in this respect, did a pretty good job of preparing me because, especially in the department I was in, it was mm-hmm. there were a lot of dudes uh, in my term and in my department. Uh-huh. So I, I, I kind of got used to navigating that kind of space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also so here's here's the the the, the nice thing. So before yeah. I went to Art Center, I went to Scripps College, which I'm sure you don't know, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. It was an all girls college and it had a focus on uh, sort of feminist studies and gender studies, which Mm -hmm. at the time I thought was really stupid. And I was like, oh, this is a waste of time. There's no sexism in the world because, you know, (laughs) I'm at an all girls school. So, of course, there isn't. But when I got into the industry and when I went to Art Center, I I really found a a way to to put the things that I learned into use. And that became sort of a vocabulary for me to understand what was going on. And even though that might not give me the power to change it or fix mm-hmm. it or whatever, because, you know, oftentimes these things are coming from on high or from a cultural angle and you, you as one person can't, you know, fix things tomorrow. Yeah. But it gave me a way to understand why things are happening and how to sort of not let it get to you. And I'm super grateful now for that experience, even though it was really expensive to, you know, go to a completely different college. Yeah. It it gave me, like I said, a language to understand what's going on and cope with it and navigate it. Um, so I, this is a really long winded answer. I'm sorry, but no, no, uh, it, I, yes, it being a woman, it does on some level, you know, it, it's part of your identity and it's going yeah. to affect your experience just like any other, like, I don't want to make it sound like, uh, you know, uh, struggle only comes in the male, female binary. In fact, I wouldn't even argue that that is a binary, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, there's also like a diversity issue, you know, there's not a lot of people of color. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of, uh, you know, non cis, non hetero people. So like, right. you know, it's, it's tough for, anyone who's on the sort of uh what's the word the the fringe of you know not being white or male basically <laughs> yeah yeah no I mean, it's because it tends to be a lot of the positions of power are held by um straight white men so then integrating other people into that that category can then be 
difficult for them because it's also a different perspective from where they've came from. So, yeah, it's definitely it's it's it's, it's the more you see it in the media, I think it just gets a bit disheartening for people because, um, you know, you see the the recent. I'm actually trying to remember the name of it, but I can't remember specifically. It was a guy who'd put a show on Netflix. It's also on YouTube where he talked specifically. He'd done one whole episode about sexism in games, and he talked to a lot of the riot sex employees and guys from Telltale and how bad it was to work in the industry. Um, and it's disheartening because yeah, there's so many talented people I know that want to go into that field or, or revisit that field or do more work in there. But then, yeah, the, a lot of the studios are off-putting because of you know the rumors I've heard um, or things they've seen through media sources. Um, and I think it's the way I've kind of came across it is that a lot of these things really just need to be experienced firsthand, and you have to find out yourself how you feel about the culture or the work ethic. Because, you know, there will be people who will slate studios and say, you know, X, Y, Z, it's, it's horrible to work there, blah, blah, blah. But then people who have worked there will also be like, no, well, you know, my experience was okay. I didn't have any problems or, you know, for that particular job, I was okay. I was well paid. I was well treated. I didn't have any issues. So I think for a lot of things, it, it comes down to a personal preference and it comes down to you really need to experience that for yourself and then make your own decision based on what you've seen and experienced, if that's the environment you want to be in. Um, I think Riot especially will get a lot of heat just now because they're, um, you know, the big target because they have so many employees across so many studios across the world. So, you know, there can be so many hundreds of instances of different things that happen. Um, But yeah, some of the readings from, I think it was one of the original stories that came out about the girl who worked in one of the Dublin offices. And yeah, some of the stuff that came out of that was just um, shocking. It was definitely... I remember going to an event not long after that article was published and it was one of the main talking points at the time and a lot of the women I talked to were like, yeah, it seems like accurate. It seems, you know, stuff I've experienced or stuff I know that goes on that I've heard about from other female colleagues. So, um, which sucks, right? Like it's got to be, I mean, how do you then, I suppose, would you want to, but how would you put a positive spin on that to say that, you know, don't let it get you down? Like you should work in this industry. There isn't as much of it or... Is there a positive to be taken from that, do you think? I mean, there's the there's the angle that like you can be the change that you want to see, which I think is a little optimistic, but maybe not wrong in the sense that, you know, like if you have the strength and the wherewithal to 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 be at a like I'm not telling people that they need to suffer to change these companies, but if you feel like you can make a small change today in, you know, a meeting or a design or something. Mm-hmm. then try and and yeah. do what you can do you know don't push yourself and kill yourself over it but no. but you know make the the differences you can make and and also just have like a have people in a life outside of school because one of the or not school sorry outside of work um yeah. because you know those are the people that you can bounce things off of get feedback from not not in terms of like your art but like in terms of how to deal with a situation professionally and like maybe it is time to leave the company like if you're going home to your partner every day and being like oh gosh my boss is horrible whether he be sexist or racist or whatever like maybe it's time to start looking for other work maybe this isn't for you and I think it's easy to get in a bubble if you don't have anyone outside of this industry or this or the company you're working at or whatever Mm. uh, where you just normalize it and you're like oh yeah I'm treated awfully but that's just the way it is and like yeah you know, you don't want to normalize either for yourself or the people around you behavior that you're not comfortable with. And, um, yeah, like just, just celebrating the little differences you can make. Like I, I I remember I, there was a, we were doing a, like sort of a celebrity likeness somewhere. I, you know, I'll keep it vague, but, um, Mm. they, he was like the, the guy we were creating was like sort of heavier set. And like, there was a push to make him not like to thin him out and make him attractive, but you know, oh. in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Hey, you know, I think that that would reflect really poorly on us if we did that. And I think that we should make an effort to represent him as he is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and like acknowledge that that is beautiful and like that he doesn't need to fit a certain, you know, body to, to, to be, a, you know, beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it was a little hard to, to make that argument to the management at the time, but I think it was a, I think it was a good thing, you know, and, and it took a little yeah. bit of effort on my part, but I had the bandwidth for it. So I'm glad yeah. I did it. No, I, I definitely think it's, 
it's harder, I think, when you when you start in the industry and you have no real, I say credentials or you don't really need credentials to stop racism, but or sexism. But like, what I'm saying is that it might seem intimidating to bring those things up as a negative when you're so young in the company because you want that job, right? If wherever you've got to that point, you're kind of you're at that studio because you want to be there. You know, either through you like their work or you want to work on the project. So then when you know things arise that will then irk you in a certain way whether it be like a comment or something that's happening that you're not too happy with it's harder i think when you're younger especially and you're fresh faced and you're you know right in the door to then put your hand up and say well hey no you know i I don't agree with this or i don't think this i mean that should be you should be able to do that any level if there is a a grievance you know with uh your workplace or your work colleagues you should be able to voice that regardless of how long you've been there but i think it will be it definitely is harder when you're new. It's definitely harder to to voice your opinion when, you know, you've not worked on a million projects or you've not came from a big studio previously or have a lot of work. Um, because then I think some people feel like, well, if I'm not like a leader, a senior, then where is my voice? Why should I have a voice? Because, you know, why would they listen to me? Because I'm only, you know, a junior, whatever. Um, yeah. Do you I feel mean, that's like right? or? I think... One something that, and I mean, I, maybe I internalized this a little earlier, just being older or something. I don't know, but uh, uh, just just arguing it from a a business perspective makes it very difficult to argue with. And like sometimes you'll still get shot down, and they'll be like, "Oh, we, you know, we don't care. We just want to do it the way we want to do it." Right. In which case, you know, whatever. You can't yeah. win every battle, but um, you know, if you make the argument like I tried to with this this celebrity thing that we were doing, yeah. um you know, instead of saying like, I think, and I want, I said, you know, this is going to reflect poorly on our brand. If we, uh, if we represent this person in a way that, you know, I have a feeling his brand doesn't want him to be represented. And like, you argue it from a, uh, a statistical or like quote, logical perspective. And personally, I think that your personal perspective should matter, but sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, money talks to these companies yeah 100 percent. i think yeah that's probably a good way of looking at it is that if you can make the argument that you know wouldn't do this particular thing because it will represent or reflect on us really badly as a company then people can kind of be like oh shit yeah i think you're kind of right there that might be a bad idea then yeah there's more weight behind that so probably it isn't the fact that you couldn't make the argument as a junior but maybe the way you would phrase it would have to be different than just yeah. I think, or I, I, I don't agree with, or you know. So, but then definitely, hundred percent. If there is an issue at your work that you feel that is, you know, making you feel uncomfortable for any particular reason, then you should always be able to speak up. And I think that's why also the the unionization is also a good idea because then it also covers that aspect of the, the industry as well, right? As sexism, racism, you know, um, not having enough diversity in, in workplaces. That's all usually covered by union workers, especially stuff like equal pay. So. I think it's difficult because, you know, we see it as this huge industry now that's a multi-billion pound or multi-dollar industry. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's still a, a young industry. Like compared yeah. to the film industry, it's really, really, or animation, it's still really relatively young. So the unionization probably will happen in our lifetimes, but then you'll probably find maybe the next generation of people come in and will find the benefits of that, you know, more um, than we will because, you know, we've been at the the picket fences right at the first front you know trying to fight for this stuff and then eventually it'll come in and, and then it'll take a while before people start feeling the benefits of it but um yes yeah, it's, it's it's definitely well needed because i think not every studio does need it i have heard some great i mean and, and people who are listening to this and maybe this is the first time you listen to this episode don't feel discouraged about in an industry because you know as much as we'll talk about issues that are currently happening within certain studios um it really is certain studios you know not every studio is like this and of course us working at skydance now and i have heard positive things about that studio saying it's, it's a great place to work so you know i think like i said earlier it really is about finding the place you want to call home for a while and finding the place that makes you feel comfortable um and that can take a while and it can take a lot of moving about but um you know i wouldn't get discouraged thinking that there's like there's no hope right like there's no way you would want to enter this industry because it's so you know unbalanced or unbiased um there is positives and of course Alison, you've worked for a long for a long time in this industry doing freelance work and, and doing work in studios and i would say your your experience has been genuinely positive right it's it's, it's not always been kind of negative it has you know more or less been good 
Yeah, I mean, I, at the end of the day, it's it's paying my bills, which is what matters the most, because that's what you know work is for. Uh, but you know, I've had some negative uh, like encounters, but I, I I try to keep on the positive side, just because like you know, it it sucks if you just le- leave a job and you're like, wow, that was you know completely terrible, and like what what can you do about it? You know, like yeah, you know, just yeah. I try to just take it in stride and like. Mm-hmm you know, there's always another job. And I think like, you know, talking about a home studio, sort of like a studio where you feel at home, I think personally for me, what's been really important is just not actually having a home studio as much as just like knowing that I'm sort of leasing my, what do you call it? Like my skills to different studios. But at the end of the day, my home studio is me. And it's, it's, it's when I go home and, and Mm -hmm. understanding that no company or no, uh, you know, CEO or manager or whatever is really defining me because you know that belongs to me. And yeah, <laughs> it sounds very like woo woo, but you know, no, I no. think it's really important. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to phrase it. Is that you know your individual aspect of being an artist is something that studios can never really take away from you, and it's something that if you cling on to throughout your career, will always help you find your way. Um, and help you make decisions based on that because yeah there can be multiple studios wanting to work with you but then at the end of the day you will always have to choose the studio that you find will work best for you as a person and if you just take a job because of that pays really well or they guys have really good reps or have a you know the next job will be even better um, I think the guys I've found who have the most fulfilling careers have just followed their heart into things that they feel make them feel um whole as an artist like it makes them just feel like a better person because they know they're feeding that artistic piece of their soul that really needs to be fed and you know there's some guys i've seen who have said you know i'll never work in 3d and they never did some guys who have said you know they say i should draw more realistically but i don't want to you know and i think if you stick to your guns in that respect and you always stay true to your artistic home um then yeah you'll probably have a more fulfilling career um than probably just chasing a job constantly yeah, absolutely. And and it also helps that if you do have a negative experience that doesn't define you as much. I feel like when you attach your identity to a company or a studio or a project yeah. and that maybe goes south either for something in your control or out of con- out of your control, yeah. it doesn't define you. You just look at that as like, oh, well, you know, that's something that went south, but you know, that doesn't that doesn't change who I am as a person. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think you're absolutely on the money there. And again, it's like I say, if, if people listen to this, I always say when we kind of talk about these subjects is, yeah, don't feel disheartened and don't feel like, you know, there isn't a future in, in certain industries. It's um, These things will happen in a lot of industries all over the, the planet, not even just in animation or even in yeah. just entertainment. It's a thing that will be, you know, especially when it comes to sexism or racism, it's a, it's a, a problem that every industry faces, not just animation and not just games. So, um, but it's good that I think we talk about it and we talk about it from the views of where you've came from as well, because then um, there will be also people who, you know, a lot of women who will listen to this podcast that I know are always looking for the female perspective because, you know, they're a a young woman trying to get in the industry and they want to know what other women have went through. So it's always good to have this kind of talk because then they can more relate to it as opposed to obviously if I have a male artist on who talks about his experience because they can't directly relate to it but yeah it's always good to have the other perspective because then it will make people think oh no but I do understand and I can relate to that because you know they're also a female in the industry so yeah I think it's been a a great talk overall and I think it's something that um you know there's, there's so much to unpack obviously and there's so much to talk about I feel like we could go on forever and ever but um yeah we'll definitely have to try and get you back on at one point Alison and, and and talk more about um your experiences because uh yeah never is just never long enough because um you're trying to unpack years of somebody's career in and in, in less than 60 minutes it's it's hard right because there's so many yeah. points there's so much that you've done <laughs> over the last couple of years that you probably want to dive into so um yeah is yeah, that well, uh I, yeah yeah go ahead no, I was going to say, so any kind of closing thoughts you feel like or advice you would want to give, um, and I think this will be more relevant, but any more, any more particular advice you'd want to give, like young women who are wanting in the industry or want to, you know, kind of follow in your footsteps, is there any kind of thing in particular you would want to say to them if they were listening? Yeah, I guess uh, advocate for yourself and uh, and and love yourself and and, you know, don't be afraid to set boundaries and expectations for yourself. Uh because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, whether they be companies 
or just people in general that, that want to take more from you than maybe you have the bandwidth to give. And honestly, this, this doesn't just apply to women. This applies to everyone. Yeah, of um, but you know, just, just, just be your own advocate. I think a lot of people look for permission to advocate for themselves. They're like, Oh, I can't advocate for myself until I get this good or I work at this company. And the fact of the matter is, is good things come to people who, who, you know, uh, push for good things to happen to themselves. You know, you can't ask for permission or wait for someone to acknowledge that you're deserving of the life that you want to live. You, you need to, you know, advocate for that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, it's a great way to talk about it. It's a great way to, to end the show, but I think it's just a thing where the message has always just been, I think, especially the one I've tried to push as well, was the same one is just be true to yourself and, and always hold on to that and arts integrity and your, your own self-integrity and, and make sure that you're always looking after yourself. That's that's the main thing. Um, so yeah, thanks very much to Alison again for Thank coming you. on and giving up your time. It's been an absolute honour talking to you. And uh, yeah, we definitely need to get you back at one point. Um, if anybody has any questions for Alison, I'll leave her details below on our website. Um, you can also leave a comment. I'm sure she'll get back to you at one point. Um, and then of course, stay tuned for the next Digital Artcast. Um, we will be back at one point giving you awesome, awesome, awesome art talks. Um, thanks to Alison again and we'll speak to you guys later. Bye.